Today, we're concluding our series through 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians is written as a formal letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. And as Paul concludes his letter, he's making use of some of the conventions that would have been um, uh, traditional within the ancient culture. Um, we continue to follow um, conventions in our letting, letter writing. We, we'll say some kind of one word or phrase in our goodbyes, followed by our, our name at the end of a, of a letter or even an email. And um, in, in a similar way, the ancient world, it was customary to offer a farewell wish at the end of a letter. Um, and, and there would be other pieces too, like greetings or secondary greetings, uh, an additional postscript, sometimes uh, an, uh, the, the name of the person writing and, and so forth. And, and we see some of these um, uh, uh, pieces as part of uh, Paul's conclusion here. Farewells, um, as with today, farewells can be somewhat formulaic. Uh, but in this case, this is a very thoughtful uh, uh, farewell, little, you know, it's four verses. It's a brief farewell, but it is packed with um, uh, uh, meaning, summarizing some of the, the key points. And, 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 and again, you, you see this kind of heartfelt plea that is flowing through the Apostle Paul towards these Corinthians. So, though relatively uh, brief, this has, um, it's full of uh, practical instruction and encouragement, not just for the Corinthians, but for us as well. So, with that in mind, would you stand as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 through 14? Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. If you would just bow, just uh, seek the Lord's blessing. Oh, great God, let your word be to us a living and uh, be to us living and powerful, sharper than a double edged sword. Those swords that divide uh, between joint and marrow, may the sword of your word, the sword of your spirit, divide between the evil and the good. And in the light of your word, may we judge all things truly. And ever hold fast to the truth that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Paul's farewell words break into three parts. Um, He begins with basic admonitions uh, that he expects the Corinthians to put into practice. And then in verses 12 and 13, he issues his final greetings. And this is followed in verse 14 with this, um, uh, what should be a familiar benediction uh, that is also filled with great meaning. And so we begin with these, uh, these admonitions, these five admonitions from the apostle. He starts with his address, 
finally, announcing, I'm coming to the end. And some of you are saying, finally. Finally, brothers. You know, we take for granted just some of these addresses. Um, But even as he begins, just this little address to the brothers. Now, of course, when he means brothers, this is an inclusive term uh, that includes both men and women, brothers and sisters. We could translate it that way. But it's just a reminder, though, to us of the relationship that we stand in, both in our relationship with the Lord, that when we come to Christ by faith, that we are adopted into the royal family of the living God. And because we are made part of the family of God, that means something is true about us, that we're no longer just acquaintances or even friends, that we're brought into, spiritually speaking, a familial relationship with one another as brothers and sisters. And Paul is also saying, you know, in spite of, if you've been following this this series through 2 Corinthians, you know that the Apostle Paul has said a lot of hard things, hard for him, hard for the church perhaps to hear. There has been a lot of challenges and difficulties in the relationship between the Apostle Paul and this church. And so at the end, he's reminding them, I am your brother. (laughs) You you are my brothers and sisters. Uh, In spite of all that's been said and all that's been experienced, we're part of the same family. I love you. I hope that you love me, the Apostle Paul is saying. The address is then followed by five admonitions. And and he just kind of says this in a very punctuated uh, manner. Uh, Verse 11, rejoice, aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. Those are the five admonitions. And, you know, sometimes we're like, is this just like strong encouragement? Is this a command? Well, in, in Greek, each of these are imperatives. That is, uh, they're, they're in this kind of Greek form of a command um, that's being given. These are expectations that the, Paul, that the Apostle Paul expects the Corinthians to apply. Uh, in their relationships primarily with one another. The first admonition is to rejoice. This may be, strike some, as a little surprising, given that in the the previous passage, Paul has been threatening, you need to repent, you need to embrace me as the apostle, you need to reject the false teachers and their teaching, you need to confess of immorality and, and repent of it. And, and he said some hard things. And if you don't do this, he's just said, when I come, it's, going to, it's not going to be pleasant, either for me or for you. And then immediately he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. <laughs> Which is just a little surprising. And it's a reminder to us, I, I think. These are all these admonitions. They're, in some ways, they're basic, but they're also reminders to us. Um, that to rejoice is something that we are called to do. It's something that goes beneath the surface of how we're feeling, of what emotions we happen to be experiencing. But this biblical call to rejoice, that is to be glad, to, um, uh, to take joy. Th- these admonitions are, are pointing to a deeper reality that, that this is something we can choose. 
we can choose to be joyful at a deeper level. And, and part of the reason for this is um, what Paul assumes here that he brings up when he, he uses the same admonition in other places um, is that this is rejoicing in the Lord. Philippians 3.1, where he um, says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is in the Lord that we are to rejoice. We're to rejoice in who the triune God is and what God has done for us, especially in and through the sending of the Son, in the giving of Jesus Christ. And this is a kind of rejoicing that we can pursue no matter our circumstances. It can be easier or harder, depending on the distractions and the things going around us, to be sure. But nevertheless, there is this kind of deeper down experience. It's this knowledge that we're, to, we're called to tap into. It's a knowledge that God is, he is invisibly but sovereignly in control. It's the sweet sense that God is present, that he is working all things for the good of those who love him, that he's working all things at the deepest level in ways that we often cannot see so that it will tend for our good and for God's glory. And we can rest in this. And so therefore, we, we, we don't have to give in to our fears and, and so forth. So we are to rejoice, for the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Second, the Apostle Paul instructs the Corinthians to aim for restoration. He's just talked about them being restored. So this is, he, he's using these final words, again, just to remind, to touch on some of the key themes that, he, that have been important to him in the body of his letter. And, and no theme has probably been as important as this, that he wants to see restoration in the life of this church, in the relationship with him. He wants to see um, uh, restoration. There's been discord. He wants to see that uh, come to an end. He's, uh, there's been immorality. He wants that to be addressed before he arrives. And so he's saying something specific to this church, aim for restoration. But in general, it's the call to put our lives in order. Okay? It's not necessarily, you know, trying to add something that you lack. It's about, it's a, it's a term that can be used in, in the context of fishing. It's a term that's used in terms of mending of the nets. Fishermen have their nets. They, they need to mend them. That's the word here, to restore, to bring restoration, to mend your ways is what he's saying to the church. And, you know, as we're coming to the end of 2021, <laughs> we're almost at the start of a new year. This is a good time to ask the question, are there areas of our life? Are there things, you know, perhaps our relationship, think vertically, is there, are there things in our relationship with the Lord that need to be mended? Are there practices or spiritual disciplines that, that maybe you've gotten a little lax on? And this is a good time to say, Lord, I, I need to mend my way with you. Or think horizontally. Are there ways that we need to mend our relationships with one another? Or think just personally, are, are there uh, things in my heart that I've allowed to, uh, you know, like weeds, uh, weeds grow in the best soil. <laughs> so are there weeds 
you know, uh, weeds of, of, uh, of fear, weeds of idolatry, weeds of maybe it's greed, or maybe it's uh, bitterness, or, or maybe it's something else. But are there weeds that need to be pulled in terms of the mending of your own heart? This is what the Apostle Paul is addressing. And again, it's in the context, he's planning to visit them soon. So they need to listen carefully, and we need to listen carefully. Advent celebrates not only the first coming of Jesus, but Advent, which literally means the the, the arrival of or the coming of, also points us to the next coming of Jesus. Jesus, the King, is coming. We just don't know when. It may be we go to him first, but we are... Part of our expectation is that the Lord will one day return and set things, make things right on the planet. And will we be prepared? Just as a church was to be prepared for Paul's coming, are our hearts, our lives repaired, restored, so that uh, we, we don't have to be ashamed when the Lord arrives? The next three admonitions have to do with the Corinthians' relationship uh, with others. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. These are all these one another's. These, uh, this is, it goes to the relationships that the, the Corinthians had uh, with one another, um, and in some degree, even with the apostle himself. The, the comfort one another, think of it just in terms of encouraging one another. How do we encourage one another? Well, we recognize that we need each other. And part of, let's just back up for a moment, part of what's assumed in these admonitions are that the people of God are living in community with one another. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just assumed. You see this. He, the assumption is they are living together. Now the only question is, what's that going to look like? Is that going to be at peace or is that going to be discord? Is that going to be painful? But the assumption is that the people of God make their fellowship, make their community with one another a high priority, and certainly in the weekly gathering for worship um, and the hearing of the Word of God. And so we are to encourage one another, sometimes in terms of our words, other times in terms of our support. Maybe it's a tangible expression of love. We want to help each other be the kind of person, to be the person that God wants us to be. And then we are to be of one mind or to uh, have the same mind of Christ, as he says earlier in 1 Corinthians. This oneness of mind is best cultivated as we grow in the knowledge of the Word of God, the Scriptures. And then in community, we work to apply that Word to our contemporary, our specific, our local circumstances. So <laughs> at, at the very least, what, what we want to be doing is we're, we're wanting to put our, fix our eyes on Jesus. And the way we do this is as we, we, we um, take in the word of God as our food. Man shall not live uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And as we study and know the scriptures, this will help us grow in unity of mind. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. That's not, um, uh, that's not the expectation here. Not this side of heaven. 
And then where this gets a little trickier is when we take what we learn from the scriptures and then we apply it. Well, application is difficult. Application is not easy. And this is often where we get all tangled up. But even in that process, we're called to demonstrate peace. We're called to demonstrate love and a charitable judgment towards one another. Our master, our king, wants his people to love each other. He he desires us to be unified, to be one uh, uh, with each other. And I'll tell you, the, the devil will do everything possible to plant seeds of discord. That's what the devil does. And so we have to be on our guard for this. We need to take seriously. These are not things that come naturally to us. We have to actively pursue. We have to guard. We have to pray for this. Uh, We need to keep our, as far as possible, our debt short with one another. And then he links these instructions with this little brief benediction at the end of verse 12. And the God of love and peace will be with you. See, Paul desires for them to experience God's love. It isn't just that Paul is demanding his way or the highway with this church. He needs them to pay attention to what he's saying because he wants them to experience the presence of the Lord uh, himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wants them to know the love and and the peace of the Lord uh, of God. Indeed, that's been so much a part of his, um, uh, of his ministry is helping them to understand this blessing of the presence of God that we are now, we don't have to go to a building that serves as a temple of the presence of God. Now we as a people of God enjoy God's presence among us, especially in some unique way when we are together, as we come together. So again, Paul says, Rejoice, aim for restoration, encourage each other, be of one mind, and be at peace. And part to the degree we're able to do that, we're able to actually experience that presence of God, the love and the, and the peace of God. And this leads to Paul's final greetings, uh, this verse 12 and 13. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, in the ancient world, along with even some of the, you know, the warmer nations today, um, it's customary to, to give these, you know, these, these cheek-to-cheek um, kisses. Um, uh, my understanding in the ancient world, it was, you know, it, it was kind of gender-specific. Um, but this was a way of simply communicating affection uh, for one another. And, and Paul's saying, you know, I want this to be this kind of tangible expression you know, we've just talked about unity. We've talked about being at peace. And, and so I, I want you to, to practice this little tangible expression of affection for one another. Now, in our culture, that's not something that is, is culturally something we do. And, and now that it's uh, times of a, of a pandemic, it's even difficult to, to even shake hands. Um, but I think, you know, how would this translate? Well, you know, you know, that warm handshake, it is, you know, you take somebody by the hand, it's so good to see you. <laughs> I think that's something like what was being expressed here by this, uh, this holy kiss um, uh, that Paul describes here in verse 13. And then in verse, uh, or verse 12, and then in verse 13, 
he says, all the saints greet you. This is a nice little reminder um, that Paul uh, is, is just inserting into his farewell. This isn't just about the relationships of the Corinthians with each other. It's a reminder to the Corinthians that they're not the only church. <laughs> with all their struggles and with all of their challenges, it's so easy to think, you know, it's, it's kind of like, oh, I'm just at the center of it. And Paul's reminding them, no, really, it's all the saints that greet you, that you're just really one part of a much larger uh, people. Uh, you're, you're one local congregation uh, in the midst of many local congregations, uh, in, the me- in the midst of many believers that are growing throughout uh, the world. And so I, I appreciated Michael's prayer where he is praying for the other churches, a reminder to us um, that ECC is just one church. We're not the only church. And we're here to also be mindful that we are to be supportive, concerned, uh, 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 an encouragement and strength for the believers that are also fighting the good fight all around us in our local city and throughout the world. And so sometimes we may need the support of other local um, churches, and hopefully they'll support us, and we need to do the same for them. We're not alone, what the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, and he's telling us there are, in our day, tens of thousands of local congregations in our nation and throughout the world. Whatever we experience, whatever we face, we're not alone. All the saints, he says, greet you. And then he concludes with uh, what should be a familiar benediction. Uh, This is the apostle's blessing. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It is um, common, uh, one of the things that Paul almost always does, in fact, is at, towards the end of his letters, there's always some kind of benediction. And a benediction is just a fancy word for a blessing. And you need to understand that, uh, I've said this many times, but the, the blessing is not just nice words, you know, just kind of this poetic way to end a, uh, a letter or a service. No, this is meant to be a true blessing for the people of God. In the Old Testament, the um, Aaron and his son, the priests, uh, were instructed to deliver the words of blessing to the people as, um, uh, as part of their worship together, as part of their gathering together. And Paul is not going out of his way um, to teach us what God is like. But if you'll notice... It's interesting here that we have words to the Christ, to the Son, words of God, uh, the, the blessing of God, the Father, and then the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And it's pointing, he's not explicitly teaching this truth about God, where we see God as one God, but three persons. This very specific, a particular understanding of God that is unique to Christianity. We hold to the idea that there are not this multitude of gods, 
There is only one God. In Deuteronomy, the Bible just puts it this way. Hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The idea of one God is perhaps the, the greatest gift that ancient Israel gave to the world. It, you know, it wasn't necessarily their architecture. Or their, it wasn't their, their cultural artifacts. Um, it was this, this idea of monotheism. And this is right at the heart of Israelite faith. And so this is why the New Testament surprises us when it, when it describes and announces that Jesus Christ is God. John 1 in the beginning was the Word. We say this so often, especially at Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then in verse 14, it makes it clear that this Word is, in fact, the Son of God the Son who comes in the flesh, uh, in the person of Jesus. Now, this should not have been a complete shock to the New Testament Jewish believers. Even in their Old Testament, they have these, these writings that are pointing in the direction of multiple persons and that the Messiah himself would be divine. For instance, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And here it is, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Already you're seeing hints, and and then you have this angel of the Lord that is demonstrating that it's not the same as as the Father, uh, but at the same time, it speaks as Yahweh, speaks as God with divine authority. Even in the Old Testament, we see hints of this already arising. And then the New Testament describes the Spirit as God. For instance, Acts 5, 3 and 4. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And then notice what he says in the very next verse. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Okay, he's, he's putting, he's equating the Holy Spirit with God. And then in um, uh, 2 Corinthians, in uh, the letter we've been working through, chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so we're beginning to see this, this kind of syllogism at work. The Bible teaches there is only one God. Yet it calls three persons God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the three persons are the one God. Now, we want to be careful here. It's not three gods. (laughs) It's one God. (laughs) 
three persons. That's the language that we're instructed to use. And this is entirely unique to Christianity. It's, it kind of explodes our brains when we really try to process how do we, we wrap our minds around uh, this teaching. But it shows us something about the God we worship. It tells us that the God we worship is perfectly satisfied. He's perfectly happy within his own being. Uh, The fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the most thrilling, eternally satisfying fellowship that is in existence. God did not make us because he was lonely. He's perfectly satisfied in himself without any need. And we are called, one, to enter into this fellowship of the divine. And we're called to image that fellowship in our relationships with one another. I think that's part of what it means to be conformed to the image of God. It's something we do as individuals, of course, as we become individually more like Jesus, but it's also something we do in community as we reflect the fellowship of the Trinity. The grace, love, and fellowship that are highlighted point to the benefits of the gospel. The love of God is what led God from before the foundation of the world to choose a worldwide group of people to lavish his love upon And in love, he sent his one and only son into the world. That's what we're celebrating at Advent. The incarnation, God coming and taking on flesh. And through Christ to provide us with that undeserved gift of redemption and eternal life. A gift that cannot be earned or merited. A grace gift that Jesus earned for us and bestows on all who will receive it as a gift by faith. And as part of the gift of grace, and this is, an, this is unique, uniquely part of the new covenant ministry, as part of that gift of grace, the Lord has lavished, he has lavishly poured out his own spirit upon his people to empower them. You see, when we're talking about that that um, reformation, mending your ways. It's not something we're called to do in our own strength, but the Lord enables us to actually accomplish this in the power of God, in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit that abides in you is a power to bring order to your lives. And all of this is part of the fellowship. Fellowship with the Spirit and the fellowship that is the result of the Spirit with one another. This is the blessing of God meant for his people. Paul ends with a blessing because he desires the Corinthians. He desires all of his readers to have our eyes opened to the riches. Okay, this is Thanksgiving, right? To be opened to the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. It really doesn't matter like how rich or poor anyone is. I mean, it does matter. But ultimately, spiritually speaking, he's given us everything in Christ. And it doesn't end with our life, of course, but will continue on into eternity. May he continue to strengthen 
and bless us. May the words of Paul be true for all of us. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, you have promised to give us those things that we can ask for in the name of Christ, those things that are consistent with your will. And so in prayer we come, and we ask that you would fulfill the desires of our hearts as you see best. Grant us in prayer and, and meditation and every experience of life to know you more, to love and serve you better, and to love and serve one another in the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray it through Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen and amen.